who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to episode 10 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 17, Dunsany Roads Orbital, 2352, April 15. We were on the lift heading for the restaurants on level 8 when Diane's tablet bipped. I'm going to have to take a rain check on dinner, she said. I've got to relieve Francis in half a stand. I checked the chrono and was shocked to discover that we'd spent the whole afternoon at Chez Henri. Diane had the watch starting at 1800. It was already 1715. My brain was having trouble processing everything. Of course it was late. We were headed for dinner, but somehow I hadn't connected the passage of time with the fact of Diane's watch. I pulled out my own tablet and set an alarm for 0515, just in case. You planning on staying out all night, boy toy? Bev asked with a grin. I shook my head. No, but as crazy as this day has been, I don't want to mess up and miss watch. <laughs> you better not be late, Diane said with a laugh. I'm going to be exhausted after this afternoon and staying up all night on the midwatch tonight. We'll get him back early, Brill told her. Who says, Bev demanded. We need to take him out and show him off a little, don't we? Oh, yes, Brill agreed, but we ought to let him sleep tonight. He's running on less than six stands sleep at the moment. He's got a day watch tomorrow, and he'll be fresher tomorrow night. They were grinning at me the whole time they were discussing my fate. Don't I have any say in this, I asked. Brill and Bev looked at each other and then at Diane. Finally, they turned back to me, and Bev said, No, why do you ask? Oh, silly me, I said. I was getting a bit giddy by then. I hadn't eaten since sometime in the midwatch when I'd raided the cooler in the galley. And for all of her joking about, Brill was right on the mark about how tired I really was. I just hoped I didn't fall asleep in my soup. When the lift stopped on level eight, Diane gave me a little hug and a peck on the cheek. You did good today, Ishmael. Thanks for letting me come along. I was too flustered by too much stimulation to say anything, but you're welcome. And Brill let us off the lift. We waved to Diane as the doors closed, and Brill asked, So what'll we eat? Chicken, I said, or beef. They looked at me strangely. Chicken is a local specialty, according to Pip. We're getting some for the stores trading. Cookie's going to be in his element between the chicken and the lamb. Lead on, Macduff, Brill told me. So I started down the corridor with Bev on one side and Brill on the other. As we walked along, I noticed people staring. 
I'd gotten used to it whenever I went out with either Brill or Bev. Brill because she was tall, and Bev because she was so tough-looking. With both of them decked out the way they were, it didn't surprise me that we were getting a lot of looks. I wanted to look at them myself. What did surprise me was that a lot of the stares were at me. After 50 meters, we came to a nice-looking place with chickens spinning on a rotisserie oven in the window. Brill said, that's got to play hell with the scrubbers, so we smelled the cooking chicken from halfway down the corridor. You know how hard it is to get that out of the air? We all chuckled and went in. It was early for dinner, barely 17.30, so we got a table right away. We ordered a large chicken paella, which they served family-style, and a huge crock in the middle of the table, along with some superb crusty yeast rolls. I didn't think we could possibly eat it all when I saw the size of the serving dish, but we only left a few grains of rice in the bottom when we were done. It was delicious, and I confess I enjoyed having two of the three most strikingly beautiful and charming women on that end of the galaxy as dinner companions. We didn't spend that much time over dinner, perhaps a couple of stands. After we'd had our paella and a dessert, the server brought our check and hovered. They had quite a lineup at the front door, and they needed the table. They weren't being particularly shy about letting us know about it. Brill picked up the check over Bev's objections. Realistically, I knew I could have covered my part of the tab. I wasn't broke by a long shot, and compared to the two kilocreds I'd just dropped on clothes, the twenty creds or so dinner would have cost me wasn't a lot but I also knew that buying dinner for a friend or two was something that gave Brill pleasure. I was oddly pleased by her caring gesture and found myself wishing for the opportunity to reciprocate. After dinner, we sauntered down through the station's levels, bypassing the office levels and lingering on the shopping and entertainment decks. Beverly was on first section as well and would be going on duty at the same time I was. As we strolled, we garnered rather a lot of admiring attention, I could tell that the women were as aware of it as I was, and I tried to emulate their easy nonchalance over being admired. As we got closer to the ship, I was also aware of a new feeling of what I didn't quite have a name for. It manifested in odd little ways, small comments, little smiles, a hand on an arm or a few steps taken hip to hip, the warmth and shared laughter. It was an easy intimacy I couldn't remember ever feeling before, and as I grew aware of it in myself, I noticed that it was also something that Bev and Brill shared with each other as much as with me. It wasn't a sexual thing, although there was certainly an overtone of sensuality to it. We hit the docks about 2100, and Bev and I fell into step on either side of Brill. It was cold, so we crossed quickly to the Lois's lock. We strode along, the three of us, and I could feel the looks of the dockhands as they watched us pass. I had a mental flash of how I'd felt leaving the ship in the afternoon. We'd left with them in control. We returned as members of the same tribe, while we'd been shipmates all along, I felt like I'd been initiated into some higher level of relationship. I'd passed some milestone during the day. Whether it had been that self-inspection in the dressing room or the sudden realization of my own power to arouse, I couldn't say. Maybe it was something as simple as wearing clothes that really fit me for the first time in my life, but I couldn't help marveling over and reveling in the dichotomy. Bev punched the lock codes and three of us strode into the ship. Roan Chom had the gangway watch, and when she looked up and saw the three of us coming, I saw the reaction on her face as her eyes danced across Bev, then Brill, and came to rest on me. I smiled at her and unbuttoned my jacket, slipping just the fingers of my right hand into the pocket of my jeans and stood with one hip cocked while Bev and Brill checked in. I pretended not to notice the way Roan kept swallowing with a blossom of color around her ears and down the collar of her ship suit. 
It took a bit longer for me to check in because of the adjustments to mass. While I left with only the clothes on my back, I came back with considerably more. The difference in mass wasn't all that much. A couple extra kilos, perhaps. Most of what I brought back didn't have any mass at all. As I followed Bev and Brill down the passage into the ship, I slipped off my jacket and slung it over my shoulder so Ron could get the full effect of my jeans walking away. I didn't look back, but I was pretty sure she was watching. Brill caught the gesture and gave a low chuckle. <laughs> Bev, I think we've created a monster, she said softly. Bev glanced back at Brill and then to me and then over my shoulder to where Ron would have been standing and grinned. No, she said. He's always been a monster. And she went on to add softly, I think Ron likes the new outfit-ish. We split up at the head of the passage to go to our separate bunks. As I walked into engineering birthing, Rebecca Salzman was standing at her locker, and I savored the double take she did when she saw me coming. Wow, you did good-ish, she said in open admiration. Thanks, Rebecca. It's been an interesting day. I can see that, she said with an easy grin. Did you have help picking that out, or did you do it on your own? Well, I had to take a woman with me to go clothes shopping, didn't I? I wouldn't want to violate any Confederation regulations. She looked confused. Regulations, she asked. Yeah, I said, the one where men aren't allowed to go shopping for clothes without at least one woman. Who told you that? I shrugged. Brill, I told her. At that moment, I knew from the look on her face that I'd been had. She got me, didn't she? I asked in a sudden realization. Rebecca nodded and filled the birthing area with that liquid laugh she had. Big time. I shrugged and grinned. Yeah, well, it worked out really well. Perhaps they should make it a regulation. Rebecca looked me up and down in a rather frank and appraising manner that I might have found disturbing earlier in the day. Maybe they should, she said with a twinkle in her eye. Whatever they did, it worked for you. She snagged a towel out of her locker and headed for the sand. If you'll excuse me, she said with a grin, I find I'm in sudden need of a cold shower. We shared a laugh and I started to unpack my purchases and stow them in my locker. In addition to the extra shirts, I found that Monsieur Roubaillet had included a couple extra pair of socks and a half dozen pairs of the skimpy briefs. I grabbed ship tea and boxers from my locker and went into the sand to change for bed. Tabitha Rondita was the morning watchstander and she woke me just as my tablet bipped at me. I blinked some of the gunk out of my eyes and rolled out of the rack. I grabbed a quick shower and zipped into a fresh ship suit, headed for the mess deck for coffee. Pip and Sarah were setting up the omelet station, and they both waved when they saw me come in. Hey, I said, how'd it go at the booth yesterday? Sarah beamed. I sold all my shawls and made over 300 creds. Pip said, I hear she's a natural-ish. Biddy said she dominated the table yesterday. He looked at me oddly then and asked, Did you get a haircut or something? You look different. I grinned. Or something, maybe. I went clothes shopping with Bev, Brill, and Diane yesterday. He nodded sympathetically. I can see where that would change a man, he said with a grin. You going on watch, he asked. Yeah, I've got the day watch. I just came in to grab some coffee now. I need to go relieve Diane, and I'll be back for an omelet when I get things settled down there. We'll be here, Sarah said with a grin. I filled a mug with coffee, waved as I left. When I stepped through the hatch, Diane was sitting at the console reading her tablet. She looked up at me as I approached and grinned. Look at you, she said. You're walking tall this morning. What happened after I left last night? Nothing serious, I told her. We went out to dinner at a nice little place on level six that had rotisserie chickens cooking in the window. You could smell them half a corridor away. Mercy day, she exclaimed. Do you know how hard that is to get out of the air? 
I laughed. I think those were Brill's exact words, I told her. Anyway, we had a nice chicken pie and then wandered back to the ship. We got back around 21.30 or thereabouts. So she kept her word and brought you home early. Yep, and I must have been tired because I hit the rack and died, I told her. Slept like a rock. Well, after yesterday's performance, she said with a giggle in her voice, I'll bet you were tired. I laughed. More like accumulated exhaustion. Well, are you ready to take this thing, she asked. When I nodded, she said formally, Mr. Huang, all arms normal. Routine maintenance on number one scrubber water intake filter was scheduled and performed. You have the watch. Miss Ardell, I relieve you, I said. I have the watch. She collected herself and vacated the chair, tablet in one hand, coffee cup in the other. As she was headed for the lock, she turned back to me and said, Thanks again for yesterday, Ish. That was fantastic. I'm glad you are with me, I told her sincerely. It was an amazing day for me. Wait till tonight, she promised with a dramatic leer. I'll be awake and ready to go, and if I know Bev, it's going to be a wild night. Good, I told her. Something to look forward to. With a final wave, she was gone, and I settled down to check the ship's status. The maintenance log indicated that number three water intake trap was due for cleaning on this watch. That was an easy one. It would give me something to do. My stomach growled loudly then, and I decided it was time to go let Pip practice his omelet skills on me again. It was still early, and I was the only one on the mess deck. Cookie and Sarah were putting up the bread, and Pip had omelet duty. He saw me coming and started throwing stuff in his pan. It was half done by the time I crossed the mess deck. I remember just how slow portside duty was. I grabbed a plate and stood at the omelet station. You've been scarce the last couple of days, he said, by way of greeting. Well, I've been here, mostly. Had the morning watch the day we put in, and then got tagged with first watch overnight. Slept some yesterday morning, and then Brill, Bev, and Diane took me clothes shopping in the afternoon. Didn't get back until 21.30 last night. He started to lift the omelet out of the pan, and I held my plate while he slid it onto it. That's what you said. Did you get anything good? A few things, I admitted. New boots, jacket, bare jeans. I took my plate to a table, and he came out to join me with his coffee. Well, I took Tabitha at her word and sold her the yarn. We made 250 creds on it, but we're out of stuff to sell here now, except for the stones. How many do we still have, I asked. A couple of kilos worth. Maybe 250 of them, he said with a grin. Are you going up today, I asked him. Yeah, I thought I'd help out here for a bit, get some breakfast myself, and then head up after cleanup. We'll be done here by 0900 easily. Technically, Sarah's got the duty today, but you know how it is, he shrugged. I do indeed, I told him, and took a bite of omelet. Hey, this is good. You've been practicing. Thanks, he said. Well, I'm on today, but I get off at 1800. Brell has something in mind for tonight, but I'll be around tomorrow. I don't go back on duty until the overnight watch. I can take any stones you don't sell or don't want to sell up to the flea in the afternoon tomorrow, if you like. That'll help, he agreed, but what we need is something to take to Betris. We've got a lot of mass that's begging to be filled. Yeah, and I spent a lot of cred yesterday, so I'll be looking hard tomorrow, I said with a grin. Say, would you bit me when you head down to change? I'd like to get one or two of those stones for myself before they get picked over anymore. They'd go great with my new shirts. Pep got a funny look on his face and leaned down and looked me in the eye. Ish? Is that you? What did they do to you yesterday? And then he chuckled. I laughed with him. Yeah, I know, but we had a ball. I can't even begin to describe it. Roan Sham came in looking for breakfast just then, so Pip went to fix her an omelet, and I pretended not to see her glancing my way every so often. But Pip had to get her attention in order to slide the eggs onto her plate. He looked at me with a raised eyebrow, and I just shrugged. I was done, so I bust my dishes, refilled my coffee, and waved to him on my way back to environmental. 
It was a pretty uneventful watch, all things considered. I had the one break to go pick through the rocks and found a nice dark green ovoid and a smaller white one with golden streaking in it. Just after lunch, I did the trap maintenance. Not a difficult job, but messy. I saved my VSI run until mid-afternoon when I had had just about enough studying for one day and needed to stretch my legs. Francis showed up on the stroke of 1745. He grinned when he came in. You survived yesterday, I see. Oh, yeah. It was touch and go for a while, but I made it. Diane came in all flushed, he said. What'd you guys do, anyway? Does the name Chazonry mean anything to you? I shook his head. No, should it? Probably not, I said, but that's where we spent the afternoon. We got out just in time for her to come back to the ship and relieve you. What is it, a restaurant? he asked. Clothing store, I said. They took you to a clothing store? he asked with a smirk. Yeah, I nodded, ignoring the smirk. We had a ball. He gave me a little to each his own shrug. Mr. Gartner, all ops normal. Maintenance on number three water intake trap scheduled and performed. You have the watch. Mr. Huang, I relieve you. I have the watch, he replied. And he added, Did you get a haircut or something? You look different. I chuckled and said, No, but you're not the first one to say that today. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 18, Dunsany Roads Orbital, 2352, April 17. Brill had stopped by during my watch, and we'd arranged to eat aboard before heading out. Cookie had one of his garlic and lamb dishes on the menu with fresh potatoes, and it sounded great to me. I smelled it all afternoon every time I'd gone into the mess deck for coffee, and it smelled wonderful. When I stepped onto the mess deck, Diane and Brill were already there and were having some kind of intense discussion. I went over to say hi and heard Diane say, But Murdoch? You know what happened the last time. Brill saw me coming about then and gave me one of those big smiles. Hi-ish. Diane turned to me then, and I got another big grin. You even look better in the ship suit, she told me. Funny what some new clothes will do, huh? 
problems, I asked, looking back and forth between them. Diane shook her head. No, just having a little discussion about a contractor. We need some plumbing done, and we're just trying to figure out who and when. Brill lied very smoothly, but I didn't call her on it. If she wanted me to know, she'd tell me. It did pique my interest, though. Okay, well, I'm starved. I'll be right back. Sarah was in the galley with Cookie, and they were working on something with a lot of flowers scattered about the prep table. It looked like pie crust discussions, so I waved. I did not want to get into the shortening versus butter debate just then. The lamb and potatoes looked great, though, and they'd sautéed some carrots as a vegetable side. It smelled divine, and I took a big helping, dithering around the buffet until Diane and Brill had hashed out, or at least set aside, whatever it was they were discussing but didn't want me to know. When the coast looked relatively clear, I headed back and sat. Okay, I asked what's on the agenda for tonight. We're meeting Bev at about 2100, so we've got some time to get ready. There's a bar down at the O2 level that caters to spacers. Good drinks, music's usually live, and the people there all understand what being a spacer means, Brill said. I glanced at Diane, who still had a bit of a glower going on, and asked, What's that mean? Understand what being a spacer means. Diane answered, Civilians have a different time sense. They're going to be here next week. We're not. It's problematic sometimes. Whatever they were talking about, it was all part and parcel here, so I just nodded like I understood and tucked into the potatoes and lamb. It was superb. Say what you will about the ambiance on the mess deck. The food was always excellent. With Pip and Cookie augmenting the store's budgets with portside trading, it was definitely improving, too. It didn't take long to put away my dinner, so I bust my plates and drew a fresh mug of coffee for dessert. I didn't want to fill up too much. I had a feeling I was in for a long night. Anything I should do to get ready? I asked. Trim my nose hair? Shave my legs? I caught Diane in mid-coffee, but she recovered well. Where'd you hear that? She laughed. Mom always shaved her legs before a hot date, I said with a smile, and she always came home complaining about boars with an excess of nose hair. Tell you what, Brill said. We'll shave our legs. You trim your nose hair. Clip your nails while you're at it, she said with an evil grin. You don't know where those fingers might end up. She caught me with that one, but I didn't recover as well as Diane had. I had to get towels from the galley to clean up the table. That was the point where I knew it was going to be an interesting night indeed. We horsed around over the remains of dinner until 1900. Then we cleared our table to help Sarah out as much as possible and went our separate ways. I headed for the gym to get in a short run and a nice sauna. It felt good to be running. I'd been so busy the previous few days I hadn't really had a chance. The sauna felt good too and there was nobody else in there at that time of day. I just let the heat seep into me and worked on that feeling of languid relaxation that only serious heat can bring. Afterwards, I took a quick splash in the gym to get the sweat and grime off, but headed up to the birthing area to get my reels showering in. Rebecca was reading on her bunk when I got up to the birthing area. Not going out, I asked her. She shook her head. I've got duty in the morning, and I've already had one late night and a hangover here, she joked. I'll wait till tomorrow for another. Looks like you're going, though. Yep, someplace down on the O2 deck. Well, have fun, she said, and leave some booze for us. I'm not much of a drinker, I told her. In that case, be careful. If the tip of your nose starts getting numb, shift a ginger ale with a cherry in it. Does the cherry help, I asked? Yeah, she said with a grin. Makes it look like you're drinking so people stop bugging you. I made a mental note of that, the implication of what she just said as well as the tip. Thanks, I'll remember, I said. I like to have a good time as well as the next guy, but Mom had gotten me blotto on my 16th birthday, and I got sick as a dog. When I came to on the bathroom floor, lying in a puddle of my own making, She'd been sitting in the hallway outside. She just said one word. Remember. Then she left me to clean up the mess. Rebecca had given me a good warning, and I intended to heed it. 
I took my jeans and briefs with me into the sand and started to get ready. I took my time over Deep Hill. Not like I had a lot of beard yet. My hair was just too soft and fine, but I'd seen guys with wispy hair trying to look older by letting it grow out. I didn't want to be one of those guys. While I was there, I trimmed my nose hairs and clipped my nails for luck. The shower felt good, and I let it finish what I'd started in the gym. When I got out and dried off, I slipped into my briefs and jeans and bundled up my ship suit and skivvies. I stowed them in the bottom of my locker and then faced a decision of which shirt to wear. The pink looked good, but I'd just worn it, and I wanted to spread the wear out a bit. The turtleneck was likely to be too hot in a crowded club, and the crew neck just didn't feel dressy enough. I was standing there in my jeans, shirtless and barefoot, when I realized Rebecca had moved to the birthing area table. I glanced over at her and caught her staring at me. What? I asked. Is something wrong? I checked my buttons and made sure they were done up. Oh no, she purred, in that voice that could melt steel. But if you're going to put on a show like that, I just wanted a front row seat. I laughed and threw my wet towel at her. She caught it and threw it back and pretended to go back to her reading. I pulled the white Oxford shirt out of the locker, slipped it on, and slowly buttoned it up, taking care to get the tails tucked in just right. I picked the green stone and tied the leather around my neck so it lay just below my collarbone in the hollow of my throat. I took my socks and boots over to the table and sat there to slip them on. Rebecca moaned. You were a tease. Thanks, I said. And she slugged me in the arm with a laugh. When I got the boots on, I pulled the coat out of my locker and slipped into it, leaving it unbuttoned before turning to the big mirror outside the sand. I thought I looked good, and judging from Rebecca's blush, she thought I looked good too. Okay, well, I think I'm ready, I told her. Don't wait up. She just grinned. Take care, Ish. Have fun. Bev, Diane, and Brill were all waiting at the lock. Bev in leathers, of course, but wearing a man's cut dress shirt with the top three buttons undone. With her smaller bust, the effect was devastating without being trashy. If she'd been bitch before, she was bitch squared now. Funny the effect a shirt could have. Diane was wearing her size paint jeans, a green scoop neck pullover, and a brown leather jacket. She walked that line between somebody you wanted to hug and somebody you wanted protection from. Brill stopped my heart, though. She was wearing a pair of low-slung slacks and black leather and a cropped sweater and baby blue mohair under a suede jacket. Her midriff was bare from the top of her hip bones to the bottom of her ribcage. She had a stylized tattoo of a sun around her navel, and the effect was smashing. Well, I said when I could catch my breath, I never knew you had a tattoo, B. I have a couple of them, she purred mockingly. Play your cards right, Spacer, and you might see another one. We all laughed and headed out for the lift, Brill leading the way. I laughed out loud when she lifted the back hem of her jacket and I saw the blue butterfly tattooed to the base of her spine, just above the waistband of her pants. Yeah, it was going to be one of those nights. Orbitals are arranged like a layer cake, with the dock levels near the middle. Everything above the dock is generally designated office, retail, and residential. Everything below is industrial. That's where all the cargo canisters were processed and stored, among other things. Docks were the designated main deck. Everything above it was numbered in increasing order, while everything below was prefixed with a zero, and again numbered in increasing order. So level 5 was the fifth level above the docks, and the O2 level was the second level below the docks. We had the same setup on the lowest, with the main deck being the spine level and main log. The gym was technically the O1 deck, and berthing was the first deck. The place we were headed to was in the commercial zone below the docks in the O2 deck. A lot of the rowdier spots were below the docks to put a buffer between the residential quiet zones and the louder entertainments available. Put another way, everything above the docks was nice, and everything below the docks was not nice. 
Tonight we were going to not nice, and this was terra incognita to me. The lift doors opened, and we could hear competing music coming from a variety of places in both directions up and down the corridor. Lots of heavy bass, most of it syncopated. The air was almost as thick as environmental, and there were people everywhere. I didn't know where to look first, but I followed Bev out of the lift like I knew what I was doing. Diane fell in step behind me, and I could feel the heat of Brill's body behind me as she strode along as rear guard. The natural bubble that opened for Beverly expanded around Diane and I and didn't close immediately behind Brill, so we moved quickly. Bev obviously knew where we were going, and she arrowed right to it. We carved through the crowds and into a gaping hole in the bulkhead that didn't appear to have any doors at all. Above the hole, a laser sign painted the word JUMP on the bulkhead. Just inside the door, Bev paused and leaned back for a short confab. We're meeting him here, right? she asked. Brill nodded. Usual spot or as near to it as we can get, she said. Who are we meeting? I asked Diane. Some people we know from the other ship, she said. A few from the Duchamp, maybe some of Brill's old shipmates from the Soyukaze. Beyond that, we'll see what happens. Bev headed out, and before long we found a group of people who had chairs saved for us and pitchers of beer already on the table. Introductions went by in such a blur that none of them stuck. Several guys in leather, a couple of women in tailored suits, and at least one woman who made Beverly look like a Girl Scout. The shaved and tattooed skull, the pierced breasts under a spike leather vest, and the muscle builder bulk kind of tipped the scales in her direction. Ironically, she had the most welcoming smile. I guess when you're built like a tank, you can afford to be friendly. Her name was Al, and she turned out to be an astrogator from the Headley. Had the most amazing repertoire of dirty jokes. Somewhere around then, a waitress in a cut-down ship suit showed up to take our orders. I took a simple gin and tonic. Not the typical drink for an 18-stand-year-old, I suppose, but Mom always had a bottle of gin around, and we'd occasionally have one after she got home from school. I hate to drink alone, she'd said that one time, and that was it. I was only 17, but after my 16th birthday party, I was never tempted to overdo again. The occasional gin and tonic didn't seem to have hurt me any. It was ten creds when she came back with a drink, and I didn't start a tab. I knew better. It was, however, a killer drink, and I knew I'd need to keep an eye on it as the night wore on. The last thing I needed was a reputation as an easy drunk on my first night out. I settled at the empty chair beside Al, and Brill grinned at me as she sat across the table. Bev was already circulating, but keeping an eye on Brill. Diane had a drink already as well, and was chatting up a lanky guy in leathers. The snippets of conversation I could hear made me think she knew him already. I turned to Al then. So, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? I asked her in a loud voice. Brill almost spewed beer onto the floor, and Al roared. The commotion attracted attention, but I just sipped my drink and waited. Al turned to Brill. He's one of yours then, isn't he? she asked. Brill grinned and just shrugged. He works in my department, she said, but don't blame me for him. We found him like that. After that, we settled in for the evening. I kept one eye on my drink and another open for the plumber. After a stand or so of easy drinking and sporadic dancing, we were all relaxed. Al was a deer for all the implanted surgical steel, and we got on famously. Several of the women in the group circulated past, occasionally sitting down on the other side of me and striking up conversations. They were all nice, but there wasn't a lot of electricity in the air. The night was not up to speed, and nobody seemed too anxious to push it. There was definitely something coming, but it wasn't there yet. Around that time, though, the crew from the Duchamp showed up, about eight of them. I was interested because I knew that this was the crew that had locked Pip in the scrubber for three stands as a joke, and then hounded him off the ship. They were also the crew that found him a berth on the Lois rather than just set him ashore. I wondered if any of the people joining our party were involved.
Introductions raced around, and again, almost everybody knew almost everybody else. I was the new meat, and I knew it. Two names stuck out when they slashed across the table, though. Alicia Alvarez was the first. Steph Murdoch was the second. The plumber had arrived. Even if I hadn't heard the snippet of conversation earlier, Bev and Diane both bristled when Murdoch showed up. Steph Murdoch was a hunter, one of those hunters who hunt for sport and not for meat. She just wanted to kill. Brill looked like she had a bad taste in her mouth when she introduced us, and I wasn't sure why she was doing it. But at that point, I had a pretty good idea of whose plumbing was the subject of concern. Bless her heart. Alicia Alvarez, on the other hand, was a killer. Petite, dark, vivacious, with flashing eyes and olive skin, much darker than even Babs or Tabitha's. If I was going to get killed, I knew who I wanted to do the killing as soon as I saw her, and even before I'd met the plumber. She was the one who told Pip that he needed to enjoy the ride. My breath caught in my throat as I thought of several delightful ways that that might be interpreted. Murdoch, in a pair of slacks so tight they puckered and a top so loose she might as well not have bothered, plunked herself down in the chair beside me and leaned in close. So you're the new guy, she said with a throaty growl. She leaned into me a bit, mashing a nicely padded breast into my upper arm, and I suddenly knew why they called this place Jump. There didn't appear to be any speed limits. Rill was looking anywhere but in my direction, but I caught Bev glaring. Not at me, at Murdoch. I leaned back a little so I could get my arm in a position to shake her hand. Hi, my name is Ish. You're Steph Murdoch. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, she purred. We have a lot in common, I hear. Really, I said. You have me at a disadvantage, then. I used to be on the lowest, she told me. We have that in common. Well, that's quite a coincidence, I allowed. I could sense even Al getting a little tense, and I wondered why it was women felt the need to protect me. I patted her beefy thigh discreetly under the table and slipped her a wink. She seemed surprised by the touch, but I felt her relax. I understand you used to be on the mess deck. Now you work in environmental, Murdoch continued. You seem to know a lot about me, I exclaimed. Brill caught my comment and tone. Diane was standing not two meters away with her back towards me, but I could see her head was slightly turned and she was listening. It was all I could do not to laugh. Bless their hearts, all of them. Two days ago, I'd have been irate. Well, you know how it is. Everybody wants to get to know the new guy, she gushed, and leaned in a little more. I had to admit, the cleavage was spectacular in a slutty, overdone, tasteless kind of way. I was willing to bet she was a very successful predator. Well, I suppose that's true, I said, and sipped my drink. So, how did you come to leave the Lois and go to the Duchamp? I thought I knew at this point, but I wanted to see if I was right. Oh, she said, I used to work in the mess deck there, and I passed the half-share test for Engineman. I wanted to go to environmental, but the Lois didn't have any slots. We followed the Duchamps into port one day, and Mr. Maxwell, you know Mr. Maxwell, of course, he arranged with the Duchamps to trade me for a guy in the environmental department who was having problems. She used the fingers-in-the-air thing around having problems, and I felt a sudden and rather unfamiliar urge to punch a woman. Pip had wondered why Mr. Maxwell had been willing to accept the trade, I could see now that the Duchamps had gotten the short end of the deal. My respect for Mr. Maxwell went up a couple of notches. It was already pretty high. So you're in the environmental section of the Duchamps, I said. You just passed your spec rating? Well, that's what I've been trying to tell you, honey, she cooed. We have a lot in common. We're both half shares and both work in environmental. Oh, I thought you'd passed your spec, I told her. Ooh, she squealed. Somebody's been talking about me? 
Timing is everything, and I just gave it a half a beat so I knew that Brill and Diane would be able to pick it up. Maybe I'm mistaken, I said. I thought you were the plumber. Brill did spew beer that time, and I could see Diane's head bow and her shoulders shake with laughter. In the ensuing confusion and cleanup, Murdoch found another target that was less problematic and moved in for the kill. I hope she didn't hurt him much, sort of. Then we all settled. Brill raised her glass in a silent toast, and I returned it with a grin and a wink. Al leaned in then and said, I don't know what just happened, kid, but I like your style. If you ever get a hankering for a big bald babe, look me up. She winked and chuckled before calling for more beer. One down. The real action hadn't started yet, but the night was shifting into high gear. Thanks for listening to Episode 10 of Half Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from the Banks of Newfoundland, an Irish jig recorded in September of 1928 by Peter James Conlon and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Dorandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.dorandis.com slash golden. Thank you.